Welcome into the Weekly Run. My name is Andy Larson. I'm here with Eric Walden. We are the Utah Jazz beat writers for the Salt Lake Tribune. We're coming at you just hours after the Jazz completed their two big free agent signings, and both of them are returns. It's the return of Jordan Clarkson and the return of Derek Favors to the Utah Jazz. Uh, kind of their, their two big question marks is how they would use the mid-level exception and whether or not Jordan Clarkson would, would be back, and now we know the answer to those questions. So, First of all, Eric, how are you doing tonight on a on a lovely Friday night? It's been a busy couple of days, Andy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't mean that to sound like a complaint. I love this stuff. Um, anyone who knows me knows that since I was a little kid who first started following the NBA, like free agency and the draft are some of my favorite components of the season or offseason or postseason or however you want to, you know, delineate it. Uh, yeah. This stuff intrigues the hell out of me i love it i love following along and now that i get to be a part of it it's just that much better so i'm great i love this stuff and frankly um getting it all out of the way within a span of a couple minutes tonight because i mean it wasn't that long in between the clarkson news and the Derek favors news so that also suits me just fine because that means i don't have to spend like the next few days wondering if, um, you know, Gordon Hayward is going to ruin my Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I think that's good. I mean, there still could be some veteran signings coming, really probably one, maybe two, if you're if you're especially optimistic. But this is the top nine for the Jazz is, is what we see here. So um, let's start with the Jordan Clarkson deal. It's a four-year, $52 commitment from the Utah Jazz uh, as Keith Smith reported, there is a fourth year that the fourth year is a player option for, uh, Jordan Clarkson. And, and so we should note that this is a lot of money for Jordan Clarkson. You know, he, he actually was coming off of a four year, $50 million deal and now, uh, gets the four year 52 from the Utah jazz. I, you know, I, I think it's basically given where the Jazz were with their salary cap situation, kind of no matter what you thought of Jordan Clarkson, uh, it makes sense to keep his salary on the books and keep him in, in the roster uh, be, because of, uh, you know, if you lost him, you weren't going to be able to replace him with somebody else. And this keeps the Jazz as, as talented as possible for the for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, we'd been hearing, um, you know, rumors that, that – and not even rumors, really. That's that doesn't do it justice. But we've been hearing that their top offseason priority was to bring Clarkson back, and for all those reasons that you just mentioned, it, it makes all the sense in the world. You know, uh, given their cap situation, given that uh, after they acquired him from Cleveland, they owned his bird rights, and therefore were able to exceed the salary cap to retain him, whereas they couldn't, you know, go out and get another free agent to replace him should he have left. Yeah. That's that's reason enough right there to try to bring him back. But then on top of that, just the fact that he fit in so well once he got here, you know, both from an on-court perspective and from a locker room perspective, you know, the the, the quote-unquote good vibes tribe that uh, kind of became a thing with his arrival, um, you know, that, that that's not nothing. And then the fact that, you know, when he was acquired, so many people just had questions about, this guy's a career-long gunner. You know, he's a, he's a remorseless chucker. How's he going to fit in a structured system like Quinn Snyder's? And that just was never an issue. You know, I, 
there was there was the famous kind of news conference with with Quinn where he's like, you know, quote me, print it. I love Jordan Clarkson. I love Jordan Clark, you know, like going out of his way to make the point that those questions weren't really a valid concern in his eyes. And I mean, you know, to be fair, Jordan's arrival really kind of salvaged what was otherwise a pretty mediocre and and boring and not terribly effective jazz bench. So yeah, you, you could say, you know, maybe the money is a little bit more than you would expect, but uh, I actually was having a conversation with someone just yesterday about, you know, the the cost of retaining players, the cost of, of keeping guys who've been with you tends to kind of escalate their value, maybe more than bringing someone in from the outside typically would in a situation like this. But um, yeah, hard to deny that that keeping Jordan Clarkson was a huge priority for the Jazz and they get it done. Yeah, and you know, it, it, you're right that I think it came at a relatively big number. You know, I, I thought Jordan Clarkson had the best season of his career last year, which is both a good and a bad thing, right? I mean, good is you you know that he can fit in your system and was clearly productive last year. Uh, the only kind of real category in which he slipped last year was actually the assists. He became maybe more chuckery than ever before. But heck, when you can shoot at those kind of percentages, which is you know, above league average um, percentages from inside and outside the arc. It's it's not the worst thing in the world, especially with a bench unit that was that needed the offense. Now, uh, you know, and we can talk about this now that you have Derek Favors with that bench unit, you may na- not need Jordan Clarkson to take as many shots. And so it will be interesting to see how those players fit together. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a signing that the Jazz needed to do just from an asset point of view, you know, not losing an asset that you traded Dante Exum and two second round picks for nothing. Uh, kind of like what happened with Kyle Korver, um, you, you know, just kind of including that in a in a deal moving forward allows you to continue the asset. And then, you know, it's so long as Jordan Clarkson plays well that you can move that piece in as as part of a bigger deal to a, to acquire a third star, maybe. And if not, you know, then you have one of the most effective bench players in the NBA, which is something that the Jazz needed last season, will need this upcoming season. And, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a relatively good signing. You know, it's it's a long time. This will pay Jordan Clarkson into his 30s. You will probably see some decline. You know, I, I, there have been some players of Clarkson's prototype that just fell off a cliff. You know, Rodney Stuckey. Uh, you know, I, I think you can go down the list of kind of the Monte Ellis, some of the the shooting guard gunners who just fell off right away. But then, you know, there's Lou Will in, over in Los Angeles just still killing it. So it could it could really go either way, and and, and we'll see. I mean, but in terms of it, the, the choice really was Jordan Clarkson or nothing, and I think for that reason, the uh, Clarkson and his agent had the jazz over a barrel a little bit, and that's why they were able to get the fourth year, $13 million a year, and the player option on the fourth year is because they knew that it was all or nothing for the Jazz as well. Yeah, you know, again, that's that's a lot of valid points you make, and um, yeah, there's 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 no getting around that when the Jazz acquired him, they knew he was in the final year of his contract of that four year, fifty million dollar deal. They knew that if he worked out here, that you know they probably were going to have to spend. And and to your point, yeah. Uh, he and his agent had all the leverage in the situation because the Jazz, you know, if, if they don't retain him, they don't, they can't replace him. So, 
given all of that, probably a little bit of an overpay, especially given this market, especially given the the finances of the league, and given, frankly, the the dearth of teams out there with cap space. You know, I mean, who was, you know, who, who was a viable alternative to sign him away? You know, Atlanta maybe they they just gave twenty million a year to Danilo Gallinari. The Knicks have some room, so maybe. Although you know. Who knows what the Knicks are going to do? Uh, Miami maybe could have like given him a crazy one-year deal uh, in order to retain their space for next year, uh, just in case uh, Giannis decides he wants to leave Milwaukee. Um, there aren't a ton of teams this year with cap space, so you know you could argue, well, you know maybe the Jazz could have played a little more hardball, but you know y- you don't want to mess this thing up. This this needed to be a situation where they just did whatever it took within relative reason to get the deal done. And and I feel like this probably falls within those parameters. You know, is it an overpay? Yeah, a little bit. Is it a massive overpay? I would say probably not, given given the role that he had within this team, given the, you know, the disaster it would have been to lose him for yeah. nothing. So, you know, within that context... I, th- I think it's a great move that they were able to bring him back on the numbers that they did. Completely agreed. And, and you know, to the extent that it's an overpay, it, it's like a couple million dollar overpay. It's not a huge, huge deal. Although, you know, we've seen over the last week what a million, two million can do- dollars can do to a, a team's salary cap structure, you know, with the Jazz having to trade three second round picks uh, in order to get out of the, the deal. Ed, Ed the, Davis the and Tony Bradley, right. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's not it's not nothing. But um, it's also not some epic disaster, probably. No, no, not at all. And yeah. again, Jordan should be a good player, at least for the next couple of seasons. And, you know, hopefully he's he's gotten better this uh, summer. We'll see what, you know, that'll be kind of a, a big question is how prepared these guys are for the season to begin in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Let's move on to the everyone's favorite jazz topic, even when uh, he wasn't on the team. And that's Derek Favors. I mean, right. Derek Favors is... <laughs> The new backup center for your Utah Jazz once again, a, a three-year, $30 million deal. There's some disc, uh, some inconsistency in, in how much that the deal was, if it's $27 million or $30 million. I'll explain why that may matter later. I, I lean towards, I think it's the $27, 28000000 But But uh, what it means is that Derek Favors is in a Jazz uniform again. That third year is, again, also a player option, so Derek Favors can choose to stay or go after two more seasons. Um, but Derek Favors is back, and, and the, the guy that Jazz players or Jazz fans have, have loved, heck, Jazz players have loved too, uh, is, is back in a Jazz uniform. I think it's, it's a really fun signing. I'll agree with that. It is, it is a fun signing. Um, I don't know that it's, it's necessarily a good signing, in my opinion. And I know this is going to be heresy to a lot of jazz fans, but um, you know, I'll, I'll preface I'll preface what I'm going to say by just putting it out there that Derek Favors is great. Um, when he was on the team, the season I covered the team, he was awesome to work with. Um, he's a total pro, as you mentioned. He's beloved by the fan base. He's beloved within the locker room. Uh, he will help a bit on the court, both in terms of you know, stabilizing the the backup center position behind Rudy and even a little bit on offense, given his, you know, noted pick and roll chemistry with Joe Ingles. But 
I just feel like this team really had a hole in, in terms of needing some better perimeter defense. And I just feel like the market is so full of competent backup big men. And, and you know, context is everything. And, and the numbers coming out with the deals being handed out to big men tonight are going to skew things a little bit. But I just felt like there were better options out there for spending that mid-level exception than on bringing Derek Favors back. Uh, Much as I like Derek and much as I think he will help the team, it just seemed like that money was better spent elsewhere to me. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question, right? I mean, I would say this. If if you're if you were looking at the regular season and we're trying to figure out what this jazz team needed to improve on more than anything else, it would have been backup center. It would have been what happens when Rudy Gobert is off the floor, because that's where you saw the biggest differential between uh one player being on the floor and off of it was Rudy Gobert. And clearly the Jazz missed Derek Favors. Now, if you fast forward to the playoffs and you get into a matchup with the Denver Nuggets, that wasn't their problem. The Jazz's bench was actually decently okay during the uh, seven-game Denver series. You know, the Jazz didn't get outscored in, in those losses. They actually outscored the Nuggets in the four losses they had uh, in Denver. So, uh, I guess in the bubble against Denver. So, I, I would say that. Clearly there, the problem was perimeter defense and Jamal Murray scoring 50 points on you and you not being able to stop anyone. Uh, I also think that there was a clear need uh, in terms of big man, or I guess big forward perimeter defense. You know, quite frankly, you look at the other teams that are successful around the league and they have a whole bunch of these like Wesley Matthews or Danny Green or Jay Crowder or Andre Iguodala types. Um, just... Guys who are big and can defend their position with physicality. And while Royce O'Neal tries to do that, you know, the truth is as a, a undrafted free agent uh, guy, he's, he's not the biggest guy in the whole world, you know? So um, I think that's something that the Jazz lacked once they got rid of Jay Crowder was they didn't have that kind of perimeter length and size anymore, as well as some strength, you know, it's, Bogey and George Yang are not the strongest guys in the world either. So I think that was a, a, a need missing. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with that. And so, you know, again, not a knock against Fave. Uh, he will make a difference. He will stabilize that backup center position. Um, he will have the capacity to improve their defense when, you know, they go up against uh, rare two big lineups, like, say, the Lakers with, JaVale McGee uh, and and Anthony Davis or Montrez Harrell we're finding out they have now. Um, or I suppose in their two matchups a year against the all-center Detroit Pistons now, you know, he'll help with that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just can't help but feel like spending the entire mid-level on, on that just, um, I don't know. I, I don't love yeah. it just, just for all those aforementioned reasons, you know, that, the who is going to guard those smaller shiftier guards you know who's going to who's going to guard those those quicker uh fours you know i don't know that they have i don't know that they have have really done a whole lot to address that yeah i I think you're right um and i think basically what this team has done is is bet on maybe beating the lakers rather than beating the rest of their potential western conference playoff opposition maybe you say Look, if if you uh, go 
if if you are a good regular season team, which I think adding Jordan Clarkson and Derek Favors probably helps you more in the regular season than it does in the playoffs, and you are a top two, top three, top four seed, maybe you avoid the, the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs. Maybe you get an easier first-round match, and then, then you're looking at uh, facing the Lakers later on in the playoffs, and, and that really is kind of for all the marbles from a competitive point of view. But... Uh, you know, I, I'm with you. You know, this Jazz team still has real, real problems that they didn't address, and so that's a little bit discouraging. I would say, though, in in their defense, that I don't think that the caliber of defensive player was going to be available at the mid level exception. You know, we yeah. as much as I I like you know Chris Dunn and I like Jay Crowder and I like and so on and Wes Matthews and so on and so forth. I think those guys are in. Two minds of either A, going through to one of the top tier contenders. So Brooklyn, the Lakers, Milwaukee Bucks, uh, or and you know, doing it doing it on the discount like Wesley Matthews did, or staying with their current teams and getting using their teams using their bird rights. So I would expect Jay Crowder, for example, to stay with Miami and probably for more than the mid-level exception. And if you're Jay Crowder, why would you leave the Miami Heat to go to the Utah Jazz and, uh, you know, <laughs> a worse situation for a team that just made the finals? So, you know, maybe you say Mo Harkless. I, I, I don't know that Mo Harkless really fit into the Jazz's lineup. I, I just, you know, I, I agree that they have this clear, glaring need that they did not address. And yet it's also hard for me to be like, yeah, but, you know, we'll see what Chris Dunn gets. I just don't know how much they really actually had a chance to get the guys that could have really fixed it. I mean, does Derek Jones Jr. strike you as a sexier signing? I mean, he can jump, but I, it's, it's kind of whatever, you know? These, these are all valid and, and completely fair and rational points that you're making. Um, I'll make a counterpoint, just, just for the sake of argument, for the sake of playing devil's advocate, and, and also because this makes for a nice segue into the other uh, jazz news that has occurred since we last spoke to our wonderful listeners a few days ago. Um, bringing in Derek Favors now really kind of um, negates the need for first-round draft pick, 7-foot, 265-pound center Udoka Azubike, and, and maybe instead that pick would have been better used on a guy such as, say, uh, you know, college senior Desmond Bain, who's 6'6", 225, and even though he's a rookie, could theoretically fill one of those holes with, with his physicality and size and defensive acumen and provide a little more three-point shooting on top of that. Um, you and I had quite a conversation about <laughs> Azubike the other night and, yeah. and, and what it meant for this team to draft him. We didn't love it in the moment, just given where the league is going and, and given his, you know, potential limitations. And I think it's fair to say in this moment, you know, now with having Derek favors back for at least two and maybe three more years, you know, that, that lessens the need for Azubuike even more. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And as much as I, I'm fine with these, free agent signings, the draft pick is a real head scratcher. I mean, uh, I, I've I've been clear ab- about this on Twitter, but uh, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to use a, your marginal uh, picks, you know, on, on a guy. First of all, I would say this, 
the Jazz, it clearly means that given that they were pretty clear that they were going to sign Derek Favors and how quickly this happened makes it pretty clear that they had a good idea about it. Uh, they clearly thought Doak was the best player available. And uh, they were probably the only team out of the 30 that would agree with them on that, right? So yeah, <laughs> that's like, uh, that you have to say is a little bit sketchy. When, you, when you're out there on a limb all by your, uh, yourself on player evaluation, you better be right, right? And, and yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I think that's, that's kind of what it comes down to is if, if Doak is a good player, then fine. You know, you pick best player available. But if he's not and Desmond Bain pops or Robert Woodard pops or, you know, all of a sudden it looks like a really head scratching pick. And well, heck, it does now because those guys were available. Um, You just have to be be right on this. I mean, it's it has been some sketchy process. You know, I I think uh, needing to use three second round picks to dump uh, eight million dollar of center salary that you just signed last year is is very unsexy, very ugly. Uh, I, I, I think the the f- fact that the Knicks bamboozled the Jazz and traded that 23 pick for 25 and 33 when you know they only had to give the Jazz 27 and 38 in order to get it, um, that's as objective as a bamboozling as you can get. And so I, I think there's um, there are some real questions there. You know, I, I don't think that this was ideal for the Jazz. I think today free agency looks a lot better than draft night did. Um, but the two combined leave a lot of holes still on the jazz. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were definite questions about the process uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of, of the draft, just because as you mentioned, you know, when you're getting outmaneuvered by the Knicks, like, you know, <laughs> obviously the, the, the Knicks have been like kind of a, a punchline around the league and among fans for the last few years. But I mean, and then they, I mean, they blew it with the picks that they did get right. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, yeah. The 25 and the 33 pick, they took a manual quickly and then traded the 33 for a future second. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, they, they did end up nixing it. Right. But they're, it, they're... For one moment of glory, it looked like they weren't going to. Right. And, and we heard from uh, Justin Zanuck afterwards talking about how, you know, it was important to the jazz to go into the draft you know, knowing that they had that second pick in place rather than, you know, wanting to go through the machinations of, of dealing with moving pieces as the draft was was going along, which... Well, and quite honestly, they, they couldn't take the risk. We know that now, right? Like, right. now that we know they had what they signed Jordan Clarkson for and that they wanted to use the big mid-level, they couldn't take the risk of not having that pick available to sell Tony Bradley with. But, um, so I, I get it. But what it meant was that you got less than ideal value in a situation where you had, where, you know, the Jazz need to kind of nail these small decisions in order to be, take advantage of as a small market team. Right. Yeah. So you've got, you've got that situation going on just in terms of the process that they used and, and the lack of nimbleness and, and dexterity as they went along, because yeah, like it, it was demonstrated that they could have wound up with better picks with better value for, for doing the same thing and would it have required some patience and, and required, you know, the risk of potentially not pulling it off. Yeah. But you know, that's, I find it kind of weird that this team has an executive vice president in David, in, in, in Dennis Lindsay, a general manager in Justin Zanuck and an assistant general manager in David Morway. And, 
they didn't trust themselves to have the nimbleness to pull off the move in the moment that the Knicks wound up doing, you know, that, yeah. that, that still rings weird to me. So there's that, there's that to begin with. And then to wind up with the picks that you do and to, um, use the first of them, use the first rounder, you know, this, this is a guy who you're going to be paying for at least the next three years to use it on a guy that, as you mentioned, you know, no one else would have taken that guy in that situation. And if they're right, they're right. But there's also a little bit of kind of institutional arrogance in, in that decision. You know, it, it smacks of smartest guy in the roomness a bit. And again, you know, if, if they're that convinced they're right about it, then, and if it works out, then none of that matters. But I just didn't see the value in the moment. And, and I see it even less now given, you know, given what we've seen in the aftermath. Fave is, is a great addition, and he completely negates the need for Udoka as a BK, who's now going to, you know, I mean, how much did, did Tony Bradley play his first two years in the league? And and part of that is because he was a far younger, less developed guy. He was incredibly yeah. raw. He was incredibly out of shape. He needed time to develop. And you would hope that as a week, as a, as a four-year college senior would not require that. So I guess you can project he's, he's the Jazz's day one third string center and he'll be there pretty consistently. But I don't see the need of, of using a first round pick on that, especially when you're still lacking with this perimeter defense, with this ability to guard longer, stronger fours. You know, it, it, it just seems so curious to me. And tonight only reinforces that. Yeah, and I mean we'll we'll see during the course of the season how much of an issue it is for the Jazz. And you know, they they can add another player with a veteran minimum. Uh, you know, the word is that they're not going to use the biannual, and so um that's this is this is kind of it, right? Yeah. Um and so they they and if they want to make uh changes to the roster and, and fix those holes, that it'll have to make mean a trade. And and really, quite frankly, then with a lot of trades like that, you're probably adding new holes, you know? Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're trading a future first round pick, but um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I think you have to say, look, this is the jazz going all in using a lot of their future assets, a lot of their future dollars going into likely the luxury tax and saying, look, 2020, 2021 is our season to do this. Um, and, you know, I, I think they'll be judged on the results. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just out of due diligence, uh, and yeah. given the amount of time that we spent uh, discussing Udoka as a Buike as their first round pick, let's at least have a brief conversation about second round pick Elijah Hughes. What are what are yeah, your thoughts on him? Um, the Jazz really like him. Uh, I mean, and I mean, obviously they do. They picked him, but they they spent three point five million dollars and a future second to buy into number thirty nine to get him. Uh, you know, basically is a guy who's going to be able to shoot is, it's very clear that he's, he's going to be able to do that. Uh, dribbles the ball sometimes into traffic for Syracuse. They also didn't have a lot of talent around him. So it's hard to really evaluate, you know, how he'll move from being an on ball player to a off ball player in the NBA. And then of course, it's hard to evaluate how he's going to play defense given that Syracuse only plays that zone and, uh, he'll play only man or nearly mostly man, nearly always man defense in the NBA. Um, 
that's going to be the question. That's going to be the sliding skill is whether or not he can keep up defensively. I think offensively he's, he's going to be good enough. You know, he, he can, he's, people are very confident in his ability to shoot. Uh, he can attack closeouts. Uh, I, I think there's a lot there and I think he's, he's got a really good chance of being a role player if that defense can hold up. Now, Syracuse wings don't have a tremendous track record of success. Yep. That, that, as you mentioned, the fact that Jim Beheim employs a zone scheme pretty much all the time, um, that's been kind of a, a, a real deleterious argument against drafting Syracuse wings. You know, w- w- you just don't know. Even if they have the athletic ability, there just isn't, you know, the history of, of having that skill set as, as, a, as a developed uh, in-hand asset from the outset you know so oh, yeah um, i'll give him credit you know he he said he's saying all the right things about coming in and wanting to prove himself defensively wanting to work defensively i mean right so that's that's at least good that he's got the right mindset about it yeah for sure you know and and we heard um yeah i, I enjoyed speaking with him for just a few minutes the night of the draft it was it was kind of tough because we had kind of competing zoom calls going on like right yeah. around right around the time that that the NBA mentioned that uh, he was he was appearing in one of their rooms to be on a Zoom call with reporters. Uh, we got word from the Jazz that that uh, Dennis and or rather that Justin and and David were doing the same thing to talk about uh, the trades and and selecting as the draft. Yeah, yeah. So I figured with you, I figured you were going to be hanging out with with the Jazz front office. So I would take a few minutes to speak with Elijah Hughes, and you know. That's this is what I've loved about about these last couple of weeks of getting to spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes talking to these prospects, just getting a little bit of insight into their personality. And this guy's got personality, you know, wh- whether that translates into him being an impactful player on the court. We don't know. But, you know, he could at least be an intriguing story, if nothing else. Um, yeah. Offensively. And, and you can tell me if I'm way off base here, just from the little bit of film that I watched of him. Uh, the NBA comp that kind of struck me immediately was uh, Jordan Clarkson light. I don't, I don't know if that's <laughs> accurate at all, just in terms of the fact that he did like to drive into the lane so much, given that um, his three-point shot was a little bit inconsistent, um, although although not horrible. That's, that's what came to mind. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on that? It's interesting. The comp I heard from, you know, the jazz was Rodney Hood, actually. Um, So that's, I mean, Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood being very different players. And, you know, that's that's part of the challenge of evaluating guys is, I, I, you know, I think Elijah uh, will be significantly less of an on-ball guy in the NBA. And so long as he realizes that he's got a shot. If he tries to make a Jordan Clarkson career out of it, it's not going to work for him because he's he's not that good. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Yeah. I, th- I think we have to assume that there's there's probably a pretty good chance he winds up making this team, just given that um, yes. the, the amount of money they spent to acquire the pick. And then on top of that, uh, given kind of how they're encroaching upon, you know, uh, that that hard cap figure, that tax apron, um, second round picks make less than $900,000 a year. So all things being equal, there's we're seeing some teams this year kind of default to uh, maybe liking a few of those guys as opposed to the usual veteran minimum contracts, which are typically around 1.6 million, I want to say. 
So, yeah, I mean, it goes up depending on how much, right, you, how yeah. many years you've been in the league. So yeah. you know, your your second year guys are yeah around that one point five million. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier, Derek Favors' contract actually plays into this, whether or not he gets twenty seven million in total or thirty million in total, because that first year of the contract would either start at eight million dollars a year or nine million dollars a year or, or thereabouts. Yeah, and that difference of a million dollars a year. Um, could be the difference between giving Elijah Hughes a short contract and giving him a longer contract. So if you give him a contract under the minimum exception, that contract can only be two two years long. If you use part of your mid-level exception, though, you can make it up to four years. So it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz left themselves enough room in the mid-level to give Elijah Hughes that money. And if not, you know, basically what kind of contract Elijah Hughes agrees to if it's a one year, two year, uh, two plus one with a where the options are, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, but clearly the Jazz are, are going to want to stay uh, cheap with this with this second round contract because you know they they will be up against a hard cap and and probably the luxury tax uh, depending on where they want to finish out the season. You know, obviously the luxury tax calculation happens by at the end of the year, so you can make changes throughout the season or make trades, whatever it is to, to get yourself at the exact salary level you want to be at. Yeah. So, um, yeah, given those moves they've made, I think, uh, and I put this in my story tonight. Uh, I think we can reasonably assume that a fair number of the remaining roster spots that they have available will go to some familiar faces from last year, guys who are, you know, maybe presently on non-guaranteed deals that will become guaranteed shortly, uh, guys along the lines of, George Niang, Mie Oni. Uh, I think it's probably reasonable that Jarrell Brantley could maybe earn a promotion from a two-way deal to the main roster. Um, who am I forgetting? Yeah, I mean, I would say Justin Wright Foreman is almost certainly gone. I mean, yep. first of all, it was a real bad sign when your team uh, dumped you out of the bubble in order to pick up a coach. That's not what you want if you uh, want a future with that team. But um, Nigel Williams Goss is also a non-guaranteed contract that is still on the Jazz's books. Yep. Um, given Quinn's complete reluctance to play him in near in any important situation at all, um, I think it w- I would still be surprised if he were on the roster next year. And in particular, I think it would be a huge mistake if he were still on the roster instead of going out and getting someone with, quite frankly, just more potential because Nigel does not have the athleticism, in my opinion, to compete in the NBA. Um, yeah, I think, and I think he's a long. Quite time. frankly, he's shown that uh, he struggled in summer league. Man, like it's it's it's. Uh, I don't think he's got it. But yeah. um, uh, Jawan so, Morgan probably likely to return. Jawan Morgan, I think, is almost certainly back. I think Mieoni is almost certainly back. I think there are questions on Jarrell Brantley and whether or not what kind of contract he'll take. He is a restricted free agent right now, so. Yeah. Uh, maybe some team gives him an offer that the Jazz, quite frankly, can't pay. You know, if someone pays him $3 million, it's it's going to be too much. So, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, what do we think of uh, Rajon Tucker? I don't know. Yeah. Um, he is not, not considered, I think, in that tier of prospect compared to Jawan Morgan and Mieoni. Yeah, I, I agree um, with that. And, and so I, I think it could go either way. I think it probably depends on what, what their options are. Yeah. Um, 
I think clearly this team needs a backup point guard or, you know, not maybe a third string point guard because you figure Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell take most of your point guard minutes. Um, but Manuel Moutier got a ton of time last year. I don't think they want to bring Moutier back. And then it's like, okay, so who do you, who do you actually have playing that role instead? Um, so I, I think that would be, if, if I'm looking for a veteran signing from the jazz and I'm talking a, a relatively young veteran, uh, I think that's kind of where I'd expect it to be. Yeah, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. It'll be interesting to see if uh, if they pull off, you know, one or two more names over the next few days uh, of, of somebody who fits that criteria. I think that's an excellent way to go. Um, yeah. I, and, Brad Wanamaker, go get Brad Wanamaker. You know, my son, I, I wasn't terribly familiar with Brad Wanamaker because I don't really pay that much attention to uh, the Celtics bench. You know, I knew who he was, but... Uh, my son was actually a Brad Wanamaker stan of all things, you know, I mean, not, not quite on the same level as like top guys in the league, but he's like, you should look into Brad Wanamaker some more. And he's not a horrible option. And, and Boston just decided to not bring him back. You could do a lot worse than Brad Wanamaker in that position. Yeah. I mean, he, he, it's very possible. He may not, he may be too good for the Jazz's 14th spot on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Hey. I, I can dream, right? I yes. can dream about twelve players on the roster. What what is what does it say about us that our dream is <laughs> is having Brad Wanamaker for the third point guard spot? Look, I mean, I guess like Frank Mason's available, he wouldn't be terrible. Uh, you know, I'm I'm stretching here for names, but I yeah. you know there are there are backup point guards that you can get that are serviceable, and quite frankly, that I will like more than Emmanuel Moody. Yeah, I don't doubt that. Um, Howell Neto is a free agent. <laughs> Go get him. Hey, bring everybody bring, back. We're bringing back Fave. May as well bring back Neto, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it. We're not running a basketball team here. It's a nostalgia show. <laughs> I mean, the Jazz have done this in the in the past, and it is it has been troubling. But we will <laughs> we will see what happens. Remember when they brought back Gray Ghoster Tag? Oh, that man. was. That was ugly. That wasn't great. And then, of course, the time when they back, brought back Raja Bell, which was the, the subject of some media uh, this week as well. So uh, that was hopefully the, the second read. time for Derek Favors is a is a better time than the second time for Raja Bell and, and Greg Ostertag. Yeah, I suspect it'll go a little bit better. But then again, you know, we have our death. It can't be as big a disaster as those. Like it, it may not as we discussed, turn out to be a great signing, a, a fantastic signing, an optimal signing, but it won't be a disaster of a signing. So there's the, that. The least. only way it, it is a disaster is honestly, if he plays like he did in the bubble last year, because he was bad in the bubble. Yeah. Um, he was pretty good most of the season. Right. He struggled a little bit early, uh, but he was, you know, was probably Oklahoma city's best center. And, and actually they were a plus team with him on the floor. Um, in the bubble, it was clear that he was not ready to come back. He didn't care, and he was slow. And so he's got to make sure that he's in shape by training camp, which, you know, starts in a week. <laughs> right around the corner. Uh, don't eat too much at Thanksgiving, Derek Favors. Indeed. And, in, and can we make the PSA of, hey, uh, guys, you shouldn't have Thanksgiving with multiple families to, this year because, it, you know, we had a record high in COVID cases today. And um 17 deaths and all that. So I, I know, think that's a reasonable this Thanksgiving? Out there. Yeah. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what your, I don't know what your Thanksgiving tradition usually is. Um, ours entails 
getting together with my wife's extended family, which this year would mean bringing one, two, four households together. And oh, yeah, that's yeah we all we all had a conversation saying we shouldn't do it. It's not smart to do it. Uh, it's too risky to do it. And everyone was in accord on that, which made me very happy that we didn't have to have any arguments about that or, or talk anyone out of it just because, yeah, we don't want to uh, accidentally kill Katie's mom. That would be bad. I feel really bad about that. Nope. Yeah. I mean, Katie's mom has got it going on, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That was, that was, that was, uh, that was so 2013 of you. <laughs> and with that, that wraps up our weekly run. Uh, second of the week this week. Uh, as always, we'll be with you, um, you know, as, as much as possible, as much as news permits. But with the season starting so soon, news per- should permit a lot. But as always, please subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune, sltrib.com slash subscribe. Are we, are we promoting anything else this week, Eric? Uh, we've got the, uh, the Salt Lake Tribune photo album about to come we, out. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that last podcast, but for $30, we are putting together the very best pictures that the Tribune has taken in the last 150 years of journalism in Utah. There are some really cool photos in this book. would make an awesome gift for Christmas. So, uh, you know, if you want to give it to Katie's mom, I think she'd really appreciate that. Yeah, she'll love it, even though she's been a direct <laughs> news subscriber for a bunch of years. No! Um, yeah, boom oh. <laughs> for that. Um, one, other, one other thing we can throw out all there right, is right, right. Uh, the Salt Lake Tribune is a nonprofit. And we are are, uh, in the midst of a fundraising campaign, a year-end fundraising campaign that's going on. And we have a lot of wonderful uh, companies and sponsors that are doing matching donations. And so, you know, if you are uh, in the mood to support local journalism and to support a wonderful nonprofit, you can go to sltrib.com slash donate. And whatever money you decide to give us, we have some wonderful companies that will match those donations and help us get to our end of year target goals that will enable us to keep doing great work. We've got a great staff. We've got people like Andy who have not been able to podcast on a weekly basis, even though this is called the weekly run, (laughs) because he's doing such tremendous work on on COVID data, you know, providing that, that public service. You can help make that possible. Andy's giving you the best information out there on, on COVID right now. Um, hey, I, I won a Best of City Weekly Award this week, so yeah. uh, watch out, world. Right? Yeah. Um, I haven't best, won a Best I am of the City best, Weekly anything. I am the best data columnist in the state, Eric. I am also the only data columnist in the state, so you know I should not get on my high horse too So much. does that mean you've got nowhere to go but down or i mean even if i go down though that's the great thing is i'm still the best data columnist in the state that is the proper way to look at it i applaud, <laughs> I applaud you all right we should wrap up because that was a long outro but yeah. uh signing out it's andy larson eric walden for the solid review good night